What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. And welcome to our Christmas Eve worship service tonight at Gospel Fellowship PCA. My name is Matt, one of the pastors. Very glad to have you worshiping with us Tonight, if you're new or visiting, Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church. Uh, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. So very glad to have you worshiping with us on this beautiful special evening. This must be the service of those who check the weather reports. Those who come at 7 will be like, there's a storm coming? Yes, there's a storm coming. You picked the right service. Uh, we're glad to have you this evening. Tonight's worship is going to be filled with some of the most beautiful and well-known Christmas hymns that we're going to sing together. The choir is here tonight to help lead us in worship. Very thankful for all their hard work and preparing to be here with us tonight. If you're a, a child, if you're a young one here, I want to give you a little challenge tonight at the beginning of the service. I want you to notice in your bulletin how many times we say the word joy or rejoice tonight. It's in almost every scripture reading and every song that we're going to sing together, that theme of joy and rejoicing, of course. We're here to celebrate the joy that is Christ come into the world to save us who are sinners. So having said that, let's prepare our hearts for worship this evening as we listen together to the prelude.
Our call to worship this evening is a portion from John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you have your bulletin, let's join together in this beautiful reading. Scripture says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're able to do so, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to sing a beautiful hymn, number 203, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. together. Lord God, how good it is to sing your praises. For you alone, O worthy, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We marvel at the glory that you have made known of yourself in Christ Jesus and his coming, and we give thanks with inexpressible joy for the work that you have done in him. Our God, we confess that our need of our Savior is great. Our sin runs deep to our very hearts, to the things that we love, desire, and long for. It overflows into our thoughts, the words that we have spoken, the things that we've done with our hands. It infects infects every part of our lives in both the things that we have done as well as the good that we have left undone. So, Lord God, we do pray that you would have mercy upon us, that you would be kind to us, that you would apply to us the full measure of the blood of Christ Jesus that we might be forgiven and we might know the grace that comes from you alone. These things we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, To all of you who have prayed with me sincerely and in faith, find your assurance in the very name of your Savior. Uh, He was called Jesus, which means the Lord saves. As the angel told Joseph, uh, he's to be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Please be seated. Our first scripture reading for this evening is from the prophet Micah, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 into verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Amen. Let's sing together using hymn 208, O come all ye faithful, verses 1, 3, and 4.
Our second scripture reading tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Scripture says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. At this point, we'll make mention of the offering. We won't be passing the plate tonight, but there is a plate to give on your way out the door if you'd like to do so. Of course, you can always give online securely at our website at gospelfellowshippca.org, or you can mail your checks in to the office. Let's pray for the offertory as we receive it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the generosity of the hearts of your people. May you use these offerings and tithes to further the kingdom of Christ, that the ends of the earth may know his glory and his joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together for our next hymn. It's hymn number 195, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Please be seated. Our final gospel reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Continue worshiping using hymn 201, A Little Town of Bethlehem, verses 1 and 2. I have a brief lesson for the children who are here. Parents, I invite you to send your children forward if that's okay. I uh, just have a few brief words for them. Any children to come up? Oh, good, we have a few. <clears throat> you guys can just take a seat right over here. You don't have to be too close, just right over here. Here, go ahead, here. You can sit down right in front of uh, Mr. Gibson over there. Oh, good. It's good to see you all. You guys excited? I'm really excited. I, I, have a, I just have a, a quick question for you guys. I want to see if you've, been, if you've been listening to some of the passages that we've been reading and even some of the things that we've been singing, uh, though you may already know the answer to this question. We'll see. Uh, does anyone know where Jesus was born? Oh, yes, yeah, Joshua. Bethlehem, that's right, good job. All right, now I've got another question for you, okay? Um, and if you're in the O'Leary family, you can't answer. Uh, <laughs> does anyone know where I was born? 
No, not Bethlehem. That's right, right? Okay. What, what about, oh, Wes, yes. Somewhere on the planet Earth. You got it. So another, another question. What, what about this? Does anyone know where Pastor Matt was born? Oh, yeah. Who knows? Okay, all right. So, we, all right, so here's, here's the point. It doesn't matter where I was born, right? It doesn't really matter where we were born, but you know where Jesus was born because God wants everyone to know where Jesus was born. Did you know that? It's pretty amazing. How do you know where Jesus was born? Yes, good job, Asher, from the Bible. God tells us where Jesus was born. It's amazing. Remember, we read in the Gospel of Matthew how the wise men were led by a star to God's people, and then they asked God's people, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? You know what they did? They opened their Bibles, and they found the place where God had said where Jesus was going to be born. God told his people over 700 years before Jesus was born. He told them where he was going to be born. Do you know why? One of the reasons is so that the wise men would know where he is, so they could come to him and they could worship him. God wanted them to know where he was so they could come to him and worship him. Do you know that God wants you to know where Jesus is so you can come to him and worship him? Now, here's another question for you. Where is Jesus now? Yeah. In heaven, that's right. But you know what? You don't get to heaven by walking there. You get to heaven by believing in Jesus. And yes, well, okay. Well, here's the amazing thing. That's right. We, we, that's a really good point, Asher. We do not have to be afraid of dying. In fact, Jesus is the one who's going to make sure that we are with him. Before he died and was raised from the dead and went into heaven, he told his disciples, he said this, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. Jesus is going to come and bring us to where he is, and we will be with him in heaven, and just like the wise men, what are we going to do when we are with him? What's that? We're going to rejoice, and we will worship him. That's right. Let me pray for you guys. Lord God, I do thank you so much that you have made known to us what you have done in Christ Jesus, so we can come to you, our God, and worship you. Be with us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You guys can go back to your seats. As they find their seats, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're in chapter 9 at this point. If you uh, attend worship with us regularly here at Gospel Fellowship, we are preaching through the book of Isaiah, and we find ourselves in this beautiful and appropriate passage tonight. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word as we recognize that God's Word is holy, it is infallible, it is the very inerrant Word of our God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we bless your holy name even as we read your word together. We pray, O God, even now that you would illuminate your word so that it may speak truth into our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us through your Holy Spirit comprehension and understanding and obedience to this, your precious and sacred word. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When we have the opportunity to give a child his or her name, we have a glorious opportunity, and not one that comes altogether too often. In fact, for most of us here, we may only have the opportunity to name a child perhaps once or twice or three or five times in your your life. Maybe none at all, but it's a glorious opportunity to think about the giving of a name. After all, our names become very precious to us. They are identifying monikers that associate us, perhaps, with our family. Uh, Our name becomes very closely associated with our personality. Uh, You may may be able to discern just from the giving of a person's name uh, where they come from or what language they speak or what sort of people they belong to. And it's for this reason that uh, we tend to be offended if somebody calls us by the wrong name, even accidentally, or if somebody mispronounces your name, it tends, it tends to uh, come across as somewhat abrasive. If they spell your name wrong on, on paper, that can be abrasive too, and so we tend to correct people that say our name wrong or get it wrong because a name is incredibly important. Now, we typically choose names for our children for one of the following reasons. And many of us, because we're Christians, we go to the Bible and we find good names there. Uh, Half of our church is named Abigail. If you call any person Abigail here, you're at least 50%. uh, There's a good chance you'll be right. Some of us go to the scriptures to find names. Uh, Others of us go to our family history to find names of, of those, our family members, our uncles, our grandparents, even our father or mother, for instance. Some people do what's popular. They, they look around to the names that are trending and they choose names on that basis. Others avoid those very names because they tend to be trending. And sometimes we just pick a name because it sounds good. And for no other reason than that, it's a good name, and so we choose it. But in Scripture, many of the people's names throughout the Bible signifies the very role that they play in redemption history. Their name shows us what they do or what they've been called to. So for instance, Abraham's name literally means father of many people. And so also Moses means he was drawn out of the water and that's how Moses comes onto the scene of redemption history. Hannah, her name means answered and we find her very prayer being answered even as she's introduced in the Old Testament scriptures, and so on it goes with Isaac and Jacob and many of the other great characters. And when we come to this passage tonight in Isaiah chapter 6, of course, we are talking about the names, plural, that are given to our Savior throughout the scriptures. And you may ask, well, how many names does he have? And the answer to that is, as many as he deserves. Uh, We've already heard a couple of times tonight that he's called Jesus Uh, by the angel in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 1. But we also call Christ by many other names besides. 
Uh, Isaiah's already given us one beautiful name, Emmanuel, that we've considered in a previous passage. But throughout scriptures, we find that Christ has seemingly innumerable names and titles. He goes by Lord. He goes by Savior. He goes by Messiah. He goes by Redeemer. Even in the book of Revelation, we find that he has a name that even only himself knows. Uh, that he himself is the only one who knows this, Revelation 19.12. And so tonight, what we're going to do in our brief time in the sermon is simply look at four of the many names given to and deserved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this text, Isaiah has given us four of them, which we will look through in brief succession. So hopefully you still have your Bible open with you on your lap. If not, you at least have your bulletin. Let's begin again in 9.6 and look at the four names given to Christ in this prophetic passage by the prophet Isaiah. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's pause right there. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew, it's not even clear whether that's one or two names. Uh, if you have the old King James, beautiful translation, they, the translators there actually put a comma between Wonderful and Counselor as though those were two separate and distinct names. But I take them to be one name here for the very reason that the other three names that we're going to look at later tonight are compound names where the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet takes two words and puts them together to form a glorious title that he lays before Christ as we might lay wreaths upon a champion or we might throw roses before a great king. Isaiah is extolling Christ with name after name. And so the first one in this text is Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you think of the word counselor, and the very first connection that comes to your mind is a guidance counselor from high school. Well, you're already off on the wrong track. If you think of some sort of a, a therapist or a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a shrink, as we sometimes call it, that's not exactly what Isaiah is talking about here. The Hebrew word for counselor is actually something much, much more akin to a, a military strategist. Uh, a counselor here in the Hebrew is somebody who plans and devises military strategy. And so by adding the term wonderful to this strategist, Isaiah is talking about one who has the miraculous knowledge of being able to see the entire battlefield as it is laid out before him. So this is a military term. And it's as though Isaiah is saying, here is one who has exhaustive and comprehensive knowledge of all that God has done and is doing and will do. Here is the one who has perfect vision and clarity and strategy for the unfolding of God's redeeming plan. Now, perhaps when I said wonderful counselor, the, the next thought that came into your mind was the Holy Spirit, and that's not a bad start. Because in the Bible, at least in the Gospel of John, several of our modern translations call the Holy Spirit also the counselor that is, that is to come. John 14, John 16, Jesus speaks of him as a counselor, the parakletos, 
uh, which is sometimes rendered as a helper or comforter, but some translations call him the counselor. And that's not a problem for us Trinitarians because several of these titles that Isaiah uses to extol Jesus are actually shared between persons of the Trinity. We're going to see that again in the next name that follows. But either way, of course, Christ with God the Father is he who sends the great counselor, the Holy Spirit, into the world. And again, Jesus prophesied that the Spirit would come in power at Pentecost in those great chapters in John chapter 14 and 16. So here with this first name, we are to be comforted by the fact that God has all knowledge, his Christ, his Son, has comprehensive and perfect strategy for the unfolding of the events of the nations. And of course, again, if you've been with us in Gospel Fellowship, we've talked about some of those political entanglements that are contextually historical here in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. Let's move on to the second name. And he calls him also Mighty God. Wow. We can't get around. We can't avoid the obvious here that Isaiah is calling him by a divine name. He calls this child Mighty God. Now, that's probably not a name that you should choose for your own son. If you were to have a son, please don't call him Mighty God. That probably wouldn't be appropriate. And that's the idea, is that this name is not appropriate to anyone who isn't of the uh, divine three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a name that you would use to extol God himself. Notice that Isaiah does not say that he is called mighty from God or mighty by God or mighty through God, but it is actually that he shall be called mighty God. And so we must think here that this Messiah that's being foretold has divine nature, that he is in fact the second person of the Trinity. Sometimes we see names like Elijah in the Old Testament, which literally means the Lord is God, right? El, Yah, Elijah, the Lord is God. But even that's a title of extolling praise to God. But here the name is given to the child, mighty God. And so throughout all of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, it becomes clear to us that this child that is to be born is of divine essence. And we can look throughout the scriptures and we can see the many ways that scripture describes to us that Jesus is God. He is divine. Uh, We Trinitarians, we don't hold back from ascribing deity to the son that is born on Christmas morning. Uh, We can look at his pre-existence in John uh, 8, 58, for instance. We can see that Christ is called the co-creator of the world in Colossians chapter 1, 16. We can see Christ doing miraculous acts like walking on water and stilling storms and multiplying fish and loaves and turning water into wine. These are divine acts. Only God can do these things. Uh, We see Jesus defeating death. We see Jesus taking upon his lips the great name I am multiple times in the Gospels. He says I am one time in John's Gospel and the soldiers who come to arrest him literally fall to the ground. But here in this text, Isaiah is extolling him with a, a divine title of deity and we do not hold back from ascribing total divinity to the second person of the Trinity, Christ the Son. Third, he is called here Everlasting Father. Now again, 
as with Wonderful Counselor, we come to this name, uh, Everlasting Father, and we might think this would be more appropriately labeled for a different person of the Trinity. Of course, we think of the Father, the first person of the Trinity. But remember here that uh, Isaiah is prophesying in the ancient context, and his language is Hebrew originally given. And the, the word Father in the ancient world is sometimes used to extol a great king. Kings used to enjoy being called the father of their people. And so this is a kingly title. It is used elsewhere like this in the Old Testament. And so we're to not confuse the persons of the Trinity here, but simply to recognize that Jesus is a great king in the line of David. In fact, he's not just any old king in the line of David but he is expressly called here the everlasting father. That is to say, the king who will never be bettered. This is the ultimate king. This is the king who literally reigns from end to end. This is the king that Revelation calls king of kings and lord of lords. And then finally, Isaiah gives his fourth name here. He is called the prince of peace. And of course, this title perfectly ascribes to Jesus Christ. He is a prince. Of course, the word prince means son of the king. And so that's interesting that Jesus is called not only the king, everlasting father, but he's also called the son of the king in that he is a prince. He is the second person of the Trinity, the son of God. And what does this prince come into the world to do? Well, he comes, of course, to give peace. And if you were to say, what kind of peace is it that Jesus has come into the world to bring? My answer is, well, every kind of peace. Jesus comes, first of all, to bring peace between us and the Father in terms of our reconciliation through Christ. It is that our sins are forgiven. It's through Christ, his death and his resurrection that we can be restored into right relationship with the Father. The very reason that Christ came into the world is that he would redeem his people. And so when we call him the Prince of Peace, uh, we ought to think of the peace that is brought, first of all, between us and God, even as we accept him as the Lord of our lives and the Savior from our sins. We have peace with God through Christ. But not only that, but this Christ also brings us peace with one another, right? So there's a vertical peace, but there's a horizontal peace as well. In fact, Christ often said that even as we are forgiven by the Father, so we also ought to forgive those who sin against us. We find this kind of language in the Lord's Prayer. And so it's because he has brought us peace that we who believe also have this incredible ability, opportunity, and even responsibility to then forgive those who sin against us. And so we who are Christians, what do we do? We go out into this world forgiving and being forgiven. But if we were to simply stop there with the vertical and the horizontal, I think we might be stopping just short of Isaiah's, Isaiah's point here because he goes on then in verse 7 to talk about how this peace will expand throughout the earth. And so look at this in verse 7 of our text tonight. It says, Of the increase of his governments and of his peace, there will be no end. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So Isaiah issues 
a clarion call of hope to anyone who has ears to hear it, that the kingdom of this Christ will only expand greater and greater and never diminish. That's the good news of the gospel, right? And so here we are in 2020, and we are tempted, like many other generations that come before us, to fall into despair thinking that perhaps we're only one generation away from the whole kingdom of God's Son falling apart, right? You've thought that, haven't you? You've been tempted to despair. You've been tempted to fear that we who are Christians were losing the cultural wars. We're losing the cultural battle. We think to ourselves, what is ever going to become of our children? What kind of a world's? Are our children going to inherit? What difficulties and struggles and anxieties are they going to have to bear in the future? And some of us have worried that instead of going further into the light, history is actually reversed course and is going back into the very darkness in Isaiah chapter 8 that we saw this Sunday Christ has come to deliver us from. And yet here in this word of encouragement, Isaiah the prophet tells us that no, We are not just one generation away from the whole church being snuffed out. No way, not even close. In fact, for the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of Christ has only expanded. And if you don't believe that, just Google how many Christians are there today and you'll find out that there are more than 2 billion Christians on planet Earth out of 7 point something or other billion. That's a lot of believers right? That's a, lot, that's, that's a lot of Christians. And every single time generations of Christians have thought it's just about to get snuffed out, yet what we find instead is that God continues to expand the kingdom of his Son such that we will not find disappointments, but that we will actually find that the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is heard and will be answered. Two billion Christians on the planet. And it started in Bethlehem, this light. And it expanded out into Jerusalem, into Galilee, into Samaria. And through the apostles, it was brought to places abroad, to Asia Minor, to northern Africa, And the Christian church continued to expand so that it it moved over into Europe and then it crossed over the sea into what they called then the colonies and into the new world. And today there are Christians that are meeting all over planet Earth in Brazil and Canada and every state of the United States. In fact, almost every town and city here in America, there is a Christian church witnessing light in the dark places. And not only that, but there are Christian believers gathering in China and in Russia and in Siberia and in Australia and to the islands such that his kingdom continues to expand and to expand and to expand, fulfilling the very prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 7, the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Christians, we don't lose. We win as the gospel wins. And so I say to you what Isaiah said so many years ago now, to us a child is born. We are the us to whom the child has come, gospel fellowship. 
We are the us. To whom was he born? Answer, to us. And so many times on Christmas Eve, we have the temptation to look back and we say, how joyful it must have been for the shepherds. How wonderful for the magi who traveled so far to see him. How precious it was to Mary, who the scripture says, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. How extraordinary for Joseph to look upon his own son and see the heir of the king of David. And we think that Christ has come for them, but Isaiah says, no, this Christ child has come for us. And so the passage ends with these words, and we'll end here, at least for tonight. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is described as being zealous to ensure that his kingdom is manifest and proclaimed throughout the earth. Zealous. Not indifference. Not uncaring. Not lukewarm, but in fact, exactly the opposite of that. God burns with a holy zeal and desire, an ardency, a conviction, a passion, if we can even use that term to describe God. And we have to be careful here that we don't go too far. But either way, the idea is obvious here that God is not indifferent about the kingdom of his son. Therefore, we too are to be zealous to obey this wonderful counselor. We are to be zealous to worship this one who is mighty God. We are to be zealous to love this everlasting father who loves us with eternal love. And we are to be zealous to proclaim the name of the Prince of Peace. So tonight, as we prepare to close our our service, uh, let's pray together and we'll sing then our, our final hymn, a beautiful hymn, Silent Night. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time to be together. Lord, we thank you for the joy of being a part of your church. And we do pray that the light of the gospel would shine boldly from this place and unto the ends of the earth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction as we go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. everybody, my name is Rob and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.